Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's Anna. The Death, Sex, and Money team is in New Orleans this week doing some interviews for an upcoming episode and eating a lot of good food. So this week, we're bringing you an update on Caleb Wilde, the sixth-generation funeral director from Pennsylvania. We asked you which past guests you've been wondering about, and Natalie from Chicago asked for Caleb. I'm just wondering how he's doing and if he's even in the business anymore. I called up Caleb, and he told me about what's happened in his life since we talked. He's in a very different place than he was when we met about a year ago. Listen for that update at the end. But first, here's my original conversation with Caleb Wilde. This is Death, Sex, and Money. We are assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. We were sitting next to a millionaire. <laughs> and need to talk about more. I love having sex with you. I'm Anna Sale. At the top of the steps, we'll be right in the funeral home itself. So we'll just sneak on upstairs and go from there. So. Okay. Caleb Wilde leads me into the Wilde funeral home through the back. I've never entered a funeral home through the back door. So first thing, I ask Caleb to show me around. My mom might be at the top of these steps. This is a family-run business. The building sits at a corner of Main Street in Parksburg, Pennsylvania, a community of just over 3,600 people. As we make our way to the second floor, I notice the place has the feel of an old home, because it is. My grandfather was born in this very room, and uh, that chair is where he takes his nap, and he often says that he'll probably die in that chair, so <laughs> I don't know. See, when you're around death this much, you talk about this thing, and it's not morbid. Just below us, at the foot of the front stairs, a crowd is beginning to gather in the foyer. He was a younger gentleman uh, who died of cancer. The connection is my dad knew him from church. Is the music something that's being played live, or is it um, a recording? That'd be nice. Hearing? Sometimes it is live. This is a recording. It's an instrumental that we bought from Walmart. <laughs> it's, it's hymns. Caleb's family has been doing this for six generations in Parksburg, going back to his great-great-great-grandfather. The family made cabinets before the Civil War, which led to making coffins, and the rest is history. Caleb's grandfather is 83, 
and running this funeral downstairs. The funny thing is, is in the funeral industry, uh, you reach your prime state when you're older because you know the people that you're serving. In my grandfather's case, he's burying a lot of his friends and family. The other nice thing about being older is that people have more freedom or more willingness uh, for you to be tactile with them. You know, for me, when I go up and I, I touch somebody, it can be weird. Uh, but for my grandfather, people are, are very willing. Uh, so he'll come up behind uh, maybe the widow and, and pull them in around their waist and give them a hug. It's just something that I, I, I can't do. People don't feel that comfortable with me, probably because I'm younger. I'm more of the behind-the-scenes person. A lot happens behind the scenes in a family funeral home picking up the deceased from the hospital in the middle of the night. Caleb also mans the phones or responds to a 24-hour answering service. If it's a death call, they'll call us directly and then we'll call the family right back. He helps customers plan their funerals, too, before there's a death. This is the casket showroom. The caskets range from about $800 for a coffin made of particle board up to solid cherry for $6,000. It's kind of like the Mercedes. (laughs) This is the most expensive casket. That we have. Yeah. How many of these will you sell in a year? We will probably sell about one or two a year. But the delicate work of embalming, the removal of bodily fluids before a viewing or burial, Caleb usually doesn't do that alone. It's rare that I'll embalm a body without being proctored uh, by my grandfather, who likes to look over my shoulder and make sure that I'm doing everything right, or my dad comes in and checks. Caleb is 33. He has two sisters, but he's the only one working full-time in the family business. I'm also a blogger. I write about my experiences uh, in the crossroads of death and life. The blog, called Confessions of a Funeral Director, has gotten Caleb some attention. He's done a local TED Talk and appeared on national news shows like 2020. So Caleb is the heir to a somber family business and a child of the Internet. Sometimes those identities clash. Everything's going good with the movie star here. This is Caleb's dad, Bill. He both ribs and appreciates his son for the attention he's getting. He's a great writer. Yeah, he is. Do you read his stuff? I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't lie. You read some of it. Yeah, I don't read all of it, probably. One in ten. But I do do read it. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, the older generation, yeah, he, he don't care even to look at it, but... Okay, well, some people have to work. Yes, of course. It's nice to meet you. Nice meeting you guys. That work is about death every day. We're on call 24-7. And for Caleb, it can be hard being, as he describes himself on Twitter, the last person to let you down in Parksburg, Pennsylvania. The service gets underway downstairs, so we slip out the back of the funeral home. I'm just going to shut this door. Okay and move through the rows of cars and pickups that crowded into the driveway. A lot of the vehicles are familiar. Caleb knows nearly all his customers and their families, sometimes going back generations. People don't move in and out of Parksburg much. Since it lacks industry, people can't afford to move out, so they kind of live with their parents, and and that becomes a generational home. I'm the sixth generation here at the funeral home, and there's a lot of other families who can trace the roots back even farther than I can. Do you remember the first time you were involved in a funeral of someone you knew personally from town? 
Um, the one that I recollect the clearest was my grandmother, who passed in uh, 92. Um, that's kind of my first memory. Yeah. When a family member of, of a funeral director dies, does yeah, the funeral director run the funeral? It, it, yeah, it's just it's really complicated. It's that uh, intersection of profession and personal life. And you just you just kind of stand around and you don't know whether to shake people's hand because they're comforting you or, or to direct them. And the embalming process is hard. Uh, you know, that's a consideration that uh, each funeral director makes on a personal level. Do you personally embalm uh, your brother, your spouse, uh, sibling, etc., or do you hire out? Uh, when my my mom's grandfather died, I and my dad embalmed him, and that's something that we felt we should do, and, and we did it. It's like the last thing that you can do for them, and when my grandmother passed away suddenly in 92, my grandfather was unable to, and not that he should have, but uh, my uncle was the one who was involved with that process. Is it something that was part of your training as you were growing up from either your father or your grandfather? Uh, not explicitly. And nobody ever told me, look, you're, you're going to have uh, stressful days, extremely stressful days where you'll see dead children and exposed to things on a regular basis that people should only be exposed to on a, on, uh, you know, once in a lifetime. Uh, and nobody ever told me that it's going to affect you negatively and that you're going to have to learn to cope. Um, there is very little, uh, training at all. Um, and so for me, I've had to dig and into different psychology books and attempt to understand what I was experiencing uh, because I, di- I didn't have any explanation uh, in my schooling, which which I think was a shame. I mean, if, if funeral directors would have been taught to cope better, I think there'd be a lot less funeral directors who leave the industry because they're burnout, which, which happens a lot. I forget the statistics. I, I think it's uh, 70% of funeral directors leave within the first five years. So it's a pretty high burnout rate. So you have outlasted the trends. Yeah, and then once you're in it for 10, supposedly you're in it forever. So, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I guess I've outlasted the trend. So now I'm damned to be a funeral director the rest of my life. <laughs> Is that really how you feel? Uh, no, sometimes I do. Employment statistics in the funeral industry vary depending on the source. But the challenge of combating burnout does come up regularly in industry trade magazines. Joining the family funeral business wasn't Caleb's first choice. Right out of high school, he worked abroad for a Christian humanitarian group. He couldn't make enough money, so he came home. But he's always got an eye on what's going on outside Parksburg. You've been checking your phone while we've been together. Are you, have you been looking at Twitter? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just making sure the, uh, the death universe is, is stable right now and, and nobody's hating me. It can be dicey talking about death on the Internet. Caleb regularly posts jokey pictures to his 20,000 Twitter followers, like a photo of a pickup in a McDonald's drive through with a coffin in the back. Other posts bring tricks of the funeral industry out into the open. He hasn't always gotten the tone right. Can I ask you about the tweet about um, <laughs> yeah. your last screw? 
this is your oh, last yes. screw. That was the most controversial one within the uh, the funeral industry. This is your last screw, and it's a picture of what's called an AV plug. Um, a stands for anal, V stands for vaginal. Um, some funeral directors will use it so the fluids don't come out of the deceased. So, yeah, so I tweeted that. Um, you know, kind of one of the principles that I have that I try to go towards is transparency. I think there's a, a cloud of secrecy within the funeral industry. Um, how that transparency plays out uh, is something else that, you know, I, I'm learning in what areas I need to be transparent in and in what areas I shouldn't be. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to keep on top of that because I, I don't want to... Irreverent, yes, insensitive, no. I, I don't want to be insensitive. Coming up, more on that sense of isolation that drew Caleb to social media in the first place. Does it make you feel less lonely? It does. It does. To, to realize that there's other people out there who have death as a defining part of their life. We put out our episode about siblings two weeks ago, and your stories keep coming in, including about how the death of a parent and sorting out money afterwards have caused rifts between you and your siblings. Melissa from California lost both of her parents in the last 10 years. She emailed us this about her sister. We had a fairly amicable time sorting out inheritance, but it left me a little bitter. It almost doesn't feel like we are sisters anymore, just sort of relatives who are bound by being family, but not much else. I'm still trying to sort it out. And Sam sent this in. She doesn't have any siblings and is starting to worry about what will happen after her parents are gone. When my parents die, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my parents' house and go through all of their old stuff. And like every time I'm at that house, I'm like, what am I going to do with all of this shit? Yes, after a death, there's a lot of sorting through stuff and paperwork, financial paperwork. So next, I want to hear your stories about death and money. We're casting the net wide here, not just family stories, but any moment where a death brought unexpected money challenges, lessons, or benefits. Record yourself using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email that to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org or write out your story and send it to us. Again, deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, singer Joy Williams. She talks about having her first child, losing her father, and the breakup of her band, the Civil Wars, and about how all of those changes affected her marriage. We almost gave up. We almost quit on each other. Um, We realized we could fake it. We didn't want to do that. And so we didn't make any grand declarations that we would stay together. We we kind of took that off the table. Um, We just said, let's take it a day at a time. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Caleb Wilde grew up in an independent Protestant church in Parksburg. When he came back to his hometown, he got licensed as a funeral director and went to seminary. When we finally sit down together, he tells me he's working towards a Ph.D. in religious studies now on top of his full-time work. I love being in academia. I'm a nerd. Uh, so, How would you say that working in a funeral home for 10 years, how has that affected you? On a personal level, it's... It's, it's overexposed me to death, uh, and it's created burnout, depression. At the same time, though, it's allowed me to see beautiful aspects of humanity, compassion, empathy, tolerance. On a faith level, it certainly changed the way that I look at God. A close experience with death changes us. It changes 
all aspects of our being. It either solidifies what we already believe or it creates a loss where the beliefs that we held to before are called into question and reshaped and, and redefined. I don't think you can have a neutral experience with death. And you said you've, you've struggled with depression. Yeah, yeah, I have. Especially the first couple of years at the funeral home because I was working seven days a week and it just got to be too much. I was starting to have compassion fatigue where I just didn't feel the same degree of compassion for people. I knew that I, that there was a problem uh, when my temper would flare up and so forth, the common symptoms of somebody who's nearing burnout. So I tried to deal with it in healthy ways through exercise, seeing a psychologist, and, and going on, on meds. Was that something that anyone had your fa- in your family had done before seeing a psychologist? Not that I know of, yeah. And it might just be my personality type. I tend to be more introverted than the rest of my family. It's an industry that has extremes where you'll see beautiful things. Families that haven't spoken for years come together and reconcile, or the community come together and and not only pay for a funeral, but start a college fund for a, a young boy who just lost his father. You'll see those things, and then you'll see uh, suicides and murders. And uh, so you have these extreme contrasts that can pull you in different directions, and it's impossible not to be affected. It's learning to acknowledge that it's a difficult job and finding positive and healthy coping mechanisms, which is what I'm still attempting to do. Can you tell me a bit more about how what you call overexposure to death, how that's affected your faith? I think in... In many ways, uh, death is the muse of religion. And so for me, uh, death has called into question a lot of my assumptions. Has it made you have less faith in a sense of order in the, in the universe? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm at a place now where I'm comfortable in silence. I used to want to speak towards death, have words towards death. And what I mean by that is is answers, where I wanted some type of framework that makes me feel comfortable with my mortality. And maybe there isn't. Maybe when we talk about death, all there is is silence. You've been going through this as you're working in a family business. Mm-hmm. Has that been difficult when you have a, a, a very specific faith background that you have shared with your family and this is leading you to a different place? Yeah, I, yes and no. I'm, you know, some of my shifts and beliefs I've kept quiet uh, because I know that they would upset members of my family, but at the same time, it hasn't been difficult because this uh, this is something that I feel if I didn't address the questions and find a way to feel comfortable in the silence that I wouldn't be able to survive. 
you said you've been relatively quiet about how your feelings and, and beliefs have changed as you're speaking into a microphone. Yeah. So, yeah. so how do you think about that? Well, I, uh, yeah, my, I, I doubt that, you know, there's cer- certainly, uh, I'm selective with what my parents hear for the most part. Um, and, uh, in, in one sense, I would say that I'm more agnostic than I ever have been. At the same time, I think what often happens in secularization is that we assume that we can exist outside of a tradition. And I don't know that we can do that. I think that tradition and whether or not we have any affiliated religion, there's a deeply held beliefs within our community that make us interconnected. And that is something that I still hold to and uh, is an anchor for me. That's community. Yeah, yeah. When I moved to New York City, I would walk to the grocery store past a funeral home in Brooklyn, and I became obsessed with the idea that if I died in New York City, I have no idea where my body would go. Because it was like this question of where's my home now, you know, that's what you're speaking to, like in the community where you live and serve, there's that sense of connectedness Yeah, and it's valuable. Yeah. And I'm afraid sometimes in our attempt to assert our independence and our individuality, when we remove ourselves from traditions, we remove ourselves from community, it does make death seem like a larger specter. Is there a particular death that you worked on? I don't know. Do you call them clients? <laughs> yeah. What's the word? It depends. Um, there was... When I first started after I was licensed, uh, I woke up early in the morning. I turned on my TV because I had heard the sound of helicopters outside of, of the place we were living at the time. And there's enough of them where I thought, well, this could be something serious. So I went downstairs, I turned on my TV, and sure enough, there was uh, on the screen a Philadelphia... A news station had come out to cover a fire, a trailer fire, that had happened uh, about a mile away from my house. And at that time, they were reporting that two young children and two adults had perished in the fire. And my first thought was, you know, this is terrible. And then my second thought was, well, there's a real possibility that we could be the ones who... uh, take care of these individuals who had perished and sure enough I went to the funeral home and we had uh, gotten the calls two young children I believe they were both under the age of 10 and then their grandparents so the following day after the coroner had done his his autopsies and so forth I was the one who went to the hospital to, to pick up the children And when I got back to the funeral home, I was also the one who was to determine whether or not these children could be viewed. 
And uh, so I unzipped the body bags, and they were actually both in the same body bag. And that was a... Uh, it was a, a defining moment internally as well. It did something in me where I began to recognize the part that I play uh, as a funeral director in the grieving and the death process. The family was fighting because the one part of the family was Wiccan and another part of the family was Christian and they were trying to determine what type of service they would have. And it, it got to such an intense level that we had to involve the cops. So the day before the funeral, we had the cop there, uh, one of the cops, and we were going over some of the logistics of what would happen if there was a fight. And uh, I collapsed. My heart was racing really intensely, and they took me into the hospital. It ended up just being exhaustion, and I was given orders to stay in bed for a couple of days. And the next day, I, I got up, and I put on my suit, and I came to the service. Looking back, it was a moment where it wasn't conscious, but I saw a need and I placed the need of others above my own needs, which at the time was rest. Looking back, I see that as a very pivotal moment in my uh, professional life where something internal clicked and it became more about the people that I was serving uh, than my my own well-being. When you came to the service that day, do you remember talking to your father or grandfather when you walked through the door? I don't. Uh, I remember them being surprised that I was there because they they knew I had just been in the hospital and... And they knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. But I quickly fell into place and did whatever I could do uh, to help the service uh, run smoothly. I don't remember what I said. I just remember them being surprised that I, I showed up. So they were surprised, but there was nothing really said. And then you started, <laughs> yeah. just took your place and started doing the work. Yeah, because in some sense, I think they they understood. Caleb. Hi, Anna. It's been about a year since I visited Caleb at the Wild Funeral Home in Parksburg, Pennsylvania. I wanted to know what's changed in Caleb's life since last year. It turns out a lot has shifted, including the stake he holds in his family business. I'm now a uh, equal partner. I think the last time we spoke, I was minority, so. So you got a promotion. I guess I'm a bigger deal now. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Well, thanks. What has that meant for your workload? Um, it, it's stayed about the same. Uh, last year was our busiest year on record, so I think we're all, um, you know, trying to uh, accommodate to the the new level of business that we have and figure out ways that we can 
share the workload. So why, what happened to make you partner? Was it something that was scheduled or, or did, did the family make a decision to, to bring you in at the, f- the full partner level? Uh, my great uncle died. So that's kind of uh, how that happens in a family business. Somebody dies and or retires and the, uh, the partnership gets spread around. And Caleb, did you listen to the episode? I did. When it came out? Yes. What did, it, what did it feel like to hear it? Um, I thought it went well. It was fun to listen to. Do you know if any of your family members listened? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I shared it on my Facebook page, and I think I just have the expectation that they don't uh, follow that, but I know they read my blog every once in a while. Mm-hmm. How's your grandfather doing? He's doing well. He, he's, uh, his health is still good. He's still full of energy. and um, He told me the other day that he's going to retire because his back hurts, uh-huh. but I, that's a lie. And is he working as much as ever? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he is. And how old is he now? He's 84. He's 84. Yeah. And what's your relationship like now? I feel like when we, when we visited, he was... Glad you were working for the family business. He was a little more ambivalent about your blogging and, and social media presence. Yeah, I think he's um, starting to come around to the idea. Uh, this past uh, October, I spoke at the National Funeral Directors Association, and that meant more to him than it did to me. Uh, I think that that was a kind of a solid, solidified in his mind that some of the things that I'm doing must be positive if they asked me to speak there. Um, so, yeah, I feel like he's he's coming around and um, that kind of appreciates the idea or can and understands it a little bit more. Maybe that's a good way to say it. It also seemed pretty clear when we talked last fall that you were you were grappling with some of the the bigger questions that come from your work and the daily routine of working in the funeral industry. Have you developed any different coping mechanisms from when we talked last? Um, I think that I've grown as a person and just been able to handle the tensions a little bit better. This past year, I think, has been pretty inspired as far as me being able to find some degree of beauty in death. And uh, I think as I've progressed and seeing that and started to make connections, it certainly helped in my ability to to cope. Um, this past year, it's just been, I would say, easier on me personally than in years prior. When you say the beauty of death, what do you mean? Yeah, it's hard to see. It's, uh, you know, I, of course the analogy is way overused, but uh, the idea that in the dark we can see the stars and death, it's just not that way. Um, there's a lot more darkness and it's, uh, it you kind of have to feel your way around instead of see your way around. Um, But once you start to adjust and uh, you are able to 
see in the night, you you find its own. There's a, a beauty to it, and I think for me, um, you know, some of the things that I that I see are, are just the the way that death allows us to embrace life, and that being reminded of our own mortality, going through periods of grief, uh, allow us to value the time that we have more dearly. I think death, unlike many other things, can bring people together because it's our most basic human experience and uh, unites us all to one degree or another. We also talked about your depression. Yeah. How are you managing that? Uh, I'm I'm not a good spot. I, I think I am. Um, it's... Uh, um, yeah, I, I was thinking about it the other day, and uh, I was thinking about how it's been easier for me to get out of bed. I think most people who are depressed know the struggle of getting out of bed. Uh, it's just difficult at times because you would rather just stay in, and maybe that's everybody and not just people who are de- depressed. But it just hit me the other day that most days out of the week I'm, I'm ready to get up, and that's, that's a good place to be. Caleb Wild. His blog, Confessions of a Funeral Director, is at calebwild.com. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Rachel Aronoff, Benjamin Franklin, Jim Briggs, and Joe Plourd. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And we may be on the road this week, but there are lots of ways to keep connected between episodes and to see some pictures from our adventures in New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. And if you're not signed up already for our weekly newsletter, subscribe at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. Now, this isn't just your run-of-the-mill newsletter. We take time to make it special each week with updates, recommendations of other podcast episodes, and the stories we're hearing from you. And if you're not getting the newsletter, you're missing out on Katie Bishop's genius curation of gifts. Not to be missed. One more update on Caleb. He is much better rested now than he was a year ago. He'd gotten basically no sleep the night before I visited, thanks to his restless toddler. But Caleb rallied, and our tour around Parksburg was fueled by a steady supply of energy drinks. Big ones. Tall boys. I I mean, you guys made me sound pretty good. Despite the fact that I had, I think, a Red Bull or a Monster in me. Uh-huh. And uh, and by Monster, I mean drink. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.